0: let's talk about breasts let's talk about you and me let's talk about all the good things and all the bad things
1: welcome to another episode of boobs Hoop podcast thank you for joining us i am Chantel.
0: i'm your breast friend julisa
1: and we're here with another very informative episode for you this episode to, um, continues our conversation with our two part series of Breast Cancer Awareness Month as we are in October. We have special guests joining us who are from the medical field who are enlightening us on ways that we can continue to protect our breast health and ways that we can continue to seek resources if we need them. But first, let's head to the streets with to on the move. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how important is breath health in America, in your opinion? I think it's really important, breast health. Because okay. I, I I think someone died in our family with breast cancer. And stuff okay. like that. So, with America, like on a scale of 1 to 10, to 1 being low, 10 being highest, how important do you think Americans think breast health is? Say 9. 9, okay. Why do you say 9? Um, I don't, I don't know. Honestly. I just. Okay. For me, like, I think it's a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how important is breast health in America, do you think?
0: I don't think Americans really, some Americans take
2: breast health seriously. For instance, my sister, I have to be on her, like, 24-7. I say, you know, this, um, this is a new year. Did you do your checkup? You know? She said, No. It's like she's very laid back. I'm like, you can't afford to be laid back. Yeah. A lot
0: of things is happening, you can't afford to be laid back. Yeah. Yeah. So And uh, even with your she's still not oh. I say, you know what? You're gonna learn when something like this happen to you. That's when you're gonna realize that any little thing, you're in the doctor office. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well kudos to you for still sticking mm-hmm. with it too.
0: On a scale of one to ten uh 10 being the highest
1: how important is
0: breast health to you oh 10 100 okay okay we got to keep those titties in check <laughs> all right this is another
1: one re- regarding breast health on a scale of one to 10 10 being the highest how important is breath breast health to you
2: definitely a 10 right. i feel like you know you're, you have to listen to your body and i feel like your breast can tell you so many different things that's going on
0: Always be
3: checking things of that nature, All right? Have you heard of
2: mammography?
3: Is that
2: some type of exam or something? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I probably have. Yeah, mammogram, yeah, 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 that's yeah. Like, yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, that's like it for
0: me. It's like the same <laughs> Okay, okay, you know, kudos to the guy for knowing, you know, some good tips to help women support their breast health. Yes, um, I thought maybe he was gonna go for the third, maybe he was gonna say. <laughs> something where we're wearing the right bra or yeah. something like that but you know kind of gave up but it's okay he gave us two good ones i
1: think the first one when he said doctor was kind of broad too because yeah. i think you can you can go to your your regular physician for mm-hmm. one but if you also don't do your mammograms or you know annual mammograms that could be that could have been three so i think he kind of it was broad so
0: yeah um others as far as what like not Sleeping with a bra, we heard that. And yeah. stuff. Yeah, so everyone has their different ways, but we, you know, of course, we always talk about self-exam. So making sure you're doing that, and um, we've had doctors in the past that were guests that always say that it's important to know your breasts and know your body. So just your body overall, but for sure with your breasts, you want to make sure that you know them so that you know if you do encounter any sort of irregularities. Like, how would you know if you never paid attention? So. Exactly. So
1: self-breast exams are definitely important. And another reminder, we talked about this in an earlier episode when we were talking about um, conditions that are not breast cancer related. Check it on the first or, um, you know, that'd be, that can be your monthly reminder to make sure that you are doing your self-breast exams.
0: hmm So um, have you had a
1: mammogram? Yes, with my family's history, um, I've had like, they call it baseline mammograms. Okay. So I started that, uh, probably late 20s when I, when I started that. Um, and then I actually need to schedule one for this year. <laughs> don't forget. <laughs> but, uh, don't forget. So um, yeah, I will be, I, I do get mammograms and I'm approaching that recommended number at this point.
0: So <laughs> yeah.
1: I still got a couple of years, so but I said approaching. We're now, we're now approaching. <laughs> yeah,
0: but um, yeah, I've
1: I've had them. Okay.
0: I mean, I have not. Okay. I don't have a, a family history either, so that's that too. Yeah,
1: I um, I mean, it can be uncomfortable, but it's a necessary uncomfortableness, is how I view it. I remember going around when I was um, planning an event for breast cancer awareness. I think it was last year. And just talking to different women about things, and just amazed at how many women just did not want to have a get a mammogram because they say, "I heard it's uncomfortable." I mean, what about your health? Like that would be uncomfortable going through something if you didn't have to go through it if you can prevent it. So I think about it that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, like um, breast—not breast exams, but like Pap smears and stuff. Those aren't the most comfortable either. Some women
1: don't get those.
0: Spread eagle on the table.
1: Some women avoid those too. Right? They do. Having a baby, you sometimes you just can't avoid that. Shoot, it just happens. <laughs> I said sometimes.
0: I'm <laughs> no living. Well, today's
1: climate, you ain't got no choice. So <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm living proof. <laughs> it happens.
1: <laughs> but yeah, um, it can be like they really it just they do just mush your breasts together.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So I've heard. I like I said I haven't experienced it myself, but you know. Understand it, yeah. I think my mom has gotten them, and like my grandma, aunt, stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, not me. Well, and it's
1: good that your family history doesn't, um, you know, dictate that you need to have it early, right? And that so that's good. Um, but I do know that there, you know, with the advances in technology and um, just medicine overall, even with my family's history, my mom, she took the BRCA gene test. BRCA, um, that is a gene, um tells if you are a carrier of breast cancer mm-hmm. and so her mother passed away from breast cancer she did not have the gene so they're saying i don't have the gene so i don't you know it's, it's it it does help to they have different tests and different preventative me- uh, measures that can help families now better understand their history and whether or not they need to continue taking preventative measures but all women need to take right. some type of breast health measure regardless of their family's history just because you know, it doesn't doesn't have to run in your family for you right. to get risky.
0: It start with you. Yeah. And it can come from many things. Yeah. Yeah. So do make sure you do that. Um, one of the things you mentioned was the, the pink ribbon thing. Oh yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's a pink washing yeah, pink is a, washing. Is,
1: a, is a is a scam, apparently. And I think I've been like so I remember we were out I went out to eat with a friend, I guess it was during October, we got pink martinis. And so what pink washing is is if you people are just representing breast cancer awareness but they're not really giving back to Mm -hmm. organizations they're just saying hey buy this and it's pink it's pink and but there's no true um i guess donation being made so be mindful of that um that there can there are people out there trying to scam people during this time of month as well so make and if you are giving give to a reputable organization i won't give out any you know you can go out there and look for themselves but see how long they've been around and um, see what their mission is. And you can make the decision from there.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. That uh, pink washing is unfortunate, but it makes sense. I feel like they do that with other things as well, like other months or things to celebrate.
1: Yeah. People are always looking for ways to make money. And then even at the expense of people who are trying to do the right thing. Do the right
0: thing. (laughs) So as Chantel mentioned, Earlier, we do have some guests that we have to join in on the conversation to give us some more insight as this is their respective profession. So we're, again, excited to present you with this information. So let's see what they have to say. All right. So we mentioned that we had some more guests here for part two of our breast health series. And in order to learn some more about getting your annual mammogram, how that can be life-saving, we have here um, Dr. Makisha Miggins, who is a breast surgical oncologist. And we have Catherine Beeman, who was a patient care coordinator at Texas Hill Allen Breast Center. So please,
1: Welcome them to Boobtube. woo Welcome. I am glad that you are here and I am eager to learn
3: from you. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us.
2: Of course. Yes. Right.
3: Thank you for being making available,
1: especially during this busy time as we are in breast cancer awareness month. I'm pretty sure you're probably being pulled from multiple directions, but thank you for making time for Boobtube and our audience. Um, so I would like to start with Cassie, um, just introduce yourself and how you got into
2: mammography. So um, I started back in 2015 and um, I honestly was kind of out of school and didn't really know what direction. So I was like, let me, let me try this. So I went into the field of mammography, not really even knowing Um what I was kind of getting myself into real honestly. And, um, it kind of took off from there. Um, so I was there for seven years and directly in the breast center. So I was working with patients face-to-face, um, doctors, you know, oncologists, pathologists, radiologists, and then, um, other departments within the hospital and, uh, absolutely loved it. Had a blast doing it. Um, and, um, Yeah. I wish, I wish my coworkers would tell me, oh, you should, you should keep going and do this and, and, you know, get your degree and and all this stuff, your x-ray and all this stuff. And I was like, it's cool, but I really like talking to patients. Um, whereas they were just kind of doing the technical side. I really enjoyed helping and being in a more supportive role. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my foundation, my background.
0: It's really cool. At least you're honest about what you like to do. That's very important. Yeah. All right. And Makisha, could you tell us about yourself and how you got introduced into oncology?
3: Well, hi, everyone. I'm um, a breast surgical oncologist, um, and I basically kind of found my way to oncology. You know, when you're um, going through training as a general surgery residency, which is the path to becoming a breast surgical oncologist You get exposed to a lot of areas. Um, You basically operate almost on the entire body, except for the bones and the brain, essentially, um, during that training. And so I found myself really gravitating towards the oncology patients. It's more of a field that's um, multidisciplinary, meaning that you get to work with so many other areas. Like I'm a surgeon, but just as uh, Cassie was saying, she works with pathologists, the medical oncologists, And you kind of navigate the patient's care. And so I I think part of the reason why I became a surgeon, I do like a little bit of immediate gratification. So, you know, when you're doing surgery, you usually, not always, but usually, you know, if you have a good outcome or bad outcome uh, pretty early on sometimes, especially in training, but also um, you see the problem and you uh, fix it with like hands-on intervention. And that's kind of where I knew that I liked um, things from in medical school. I knew I liked procedures And so that's what led me to surgery, but I really liked breast surgery one, because it's women's health primarily, although men do get affected with breast cancer, Mm -hmm. but it also is an opportunity to just, um, meet someone at the beginning of their journey, whether it's that abnormal mammogram or whatever it might be, or they already know they have a diagnosis of cancer and try to lead them along the path step in a stepwise, um, fashion just really appealed to me. And in most cases the outcomes are pretty good. So that also is something that um, was appealing. That's really
1: cool. Oh, I love hearing about both of your journeys. (laughs) Um, For both of you, um, do you recall the youngest person to receive a mammogram or your care um, in your experience as a, a patient care coordinator or as a surgeon?
2: You can go first, doc, if you want. Oh,
3: no. (laughs) For me, the youngest patient that I've had um, was 22. Okay. That's
2: pretty young. Uh, For me, not as young, uh, but I would say 27.
1: Okay. And I only asked that question because I know uh, breast cancer is becoming more prominent Mm
2: -hmm. amongst
1: younger women. And I know they're Mm -hmm. saying forty you know, get your mammogram, but women in their 20s, early 20s, that's really young. So I'm just a huge advocate on young women being mindful of checking their breasts and making sure they're aware of the the importance of breast health.
3: Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point is that um, we don't start screening till age 40. Uh, The reason is because, of course, the majority of patients with breast cancer aren't under the age of 40, thankfully. But um, just because you're not ready for a mammogram. Uh, doesn't mean that your doctor shouldn't be checking your breast or that you shouldn't be checking your breast. And so I think we recommend um, breast cancer screening with breast cancer exams, not with imaging, starting in your early 20s, at least by 25. But most people couple them with their early visits to the gynecologist. So by somewhere between 21 to 25, people should be starting to get um, clinical breast exams, meaning that your doctor is doing the exam. Yep. Thank you for that. I was to today that. And, oh no, I was going oh, no. to
0: say. <laughs> Go ahead. No, what, what were you going to say? I was just saying, brings me back to on here. I mentioned one time, the first time I had a breast exam, which um, was suddenly during a physical in high school, and it was it was a bit of a horror story because it was just really uncomfortable for me. Oh so, yeah. yeah, I I had hit the doctor. I can only. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't trying heard. to like. I kept hitting the doctor. My mom was in there. It was just uncomfortable. I can yeah. only
3: imagine if you're in high school uh, getting a breast exam. You don't even know, like, if there's Ooh. that, I mean, was there any introduction to it? Was there a reason for the breast exam? Because usually, yeah, that, that's, that would make me- I think curious. your mom was in
2: the room.
0: Yeah. yeah, it was a lady. It was a young lady, but I don't know if, I just thought it was part of the physical. Mm-hmm. Um, but, because I was only maybe like 10th, Grade ninth or 10th mm-hmm. grade at max, and it I needed it for dance for uh, to be on a dance team, so I, I don't know. know, but it was very uncomfortable. And my introduction to breast exams was interesting, but I got past it. But just being touched like that was kind of weird to me at that age.
1: Yeah. were they explaining things that they were i'm interested because I've, I've been in a well woman's exam <laughs> and they're actually as an adult and they're telling me what they're doing as they're going mm-hmm. to, and as an adult it just made me feel so much more at peace even though i've had those before so do you remember if they were talking to you along the way explaining
0: what they were doing and why uh i think she did but it's not like they like they didn't check my vagina or anything it wasn't a, a whale woman's it oh was a... oh it was uh, really uh, so she, she just didn't. went straight for him
3: huh <laughs> is to sign it, off to say that you were in good enough condition to participate in the dance class i assume
0: i guess it was is it because i was busty did they feel Maybe. like you know we need to look at her breast? no make sure that
1: they yeah. are yeah. can sustain the the exercise and activities uh that's oh, weird yeah that's <laughs>
2: yeah Oh, well, that's and, nowadays.
3: Uh, <laughs> physician pediatrician physician whoever that might have been um was uh, a little bit ahead of the game but usually <laughs> we don't really do that unless there's a concern mm-hmm.
0: oh well I might have knocked her out of her position that day no I didn't hit her hard but I did
2: <laughs> <laughs> it
0: was so weird oh. okay Cassie what were you saying though
2: um, no, i I think I was just piggy piggybacking off of that, you know, just um making sure a lot of times people would ask that, you know well i I'm not supposed to get a mammogram until I'm forty, but so what am I supposed to do? You know, and basically, what I would let patients know is is that you should be going annually to somebody anyway, you know, obviously a family health doctor or um, an OB Um, even if it's a pediatrician you know because you I think some pediatricians take patients up until they're 21 Mm -hmm. or something like that so I would just always say you know make sure that once you get to a certain age as a woman they need to also be doing a breast exam you know on you as well because they're going to be the ones to kind of feel around know what they're looking for and then of course just the in the shower laying down those regular um, examinations on yourself too, um, as well.
0: And we uh, learn more. Oh, go ahead. I
1: was gonna say something about the self breast exams. I recently was on. It may have been an American Cancer Site, one of those sites um, that they're not recommending self breast exams because it's like they are um, people. Women are becoming alarmed because they're feeling things, and so. Mm-hmm. But that I, I did see that that the recommendation, oh, don't feel yourself. I'm like, that's stupid. It's <laughs> like, and who yeah. else is going to know your body except for you? Yeah, right?
3: They've kind of gone away from the term of self-breast exam, even though we still say it and utilize mm-hmm. it, um, to self-breast awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so which meaning, which still means that you have an awareness of your body, right? You um, You pay attention to yourself. You notice if there's something different. But for some people, um, examining their breast, uh, invokes anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then people will think they feel things, even if they don't feel things or, you know, or some, or you feel something that feels abnormal, but it's actually normal breast tissue. And so I think it was a little bit of that, that kind of drove that, but I still tell my patients, I tell everyone, you know, you should be aware of your breast, um, whether that mean it doesn't mean that you need to be checking them, you know, every week, but you should be aware of changes, um, and mindful of those things.
2: Cause so you would be surprised of how many patients that, um, their partner found their lump mm-hmm. um, or they, I, I had a patient one time, she said, yeah, I was, I was sleeping and I turned, a certain way, you know, how you kind of, you're asleep, but you're awake when you kind of make some movements. And she was like, I felt something that wasn't there. And so that's what prompted her to come in. So just like you said, you know, just, just advocating for yourself. I can't, I can't tell patients that enough, just making sure that you're, you know, what's normal for you, you know, cause at the end of the day, yes, you can go to the doctor, you can, you know, but if you're not speaking up, if you're not like familiar and comfortable with your own body, then how can somebody else kind of, you know, help you? I saw They're some
0: really lint on my name. nipple the other day. You said <laughs> lint, out. lint?
3: Lint. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's okay. what you said. I was like, huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am just saying, like, I look every day, especially like when I shower, Is this something. So I was in the mirror and I was like, oh, my nipple looking weird. And then I showered, then I looked in the mirror after that and I was like, oh my God, what's my nipple looking red? Is something coming out of it? And then I looked and I was like, oh, that's just a lint from the towel.
3: Yeah, <laughs> uh, to, no, but you bring up attention. a good point. Only you. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny though, but that you um, look at yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I find that um, a lot of women, you know, for whatever reasons of sometimes it's usually uh insecurities about their own appearance mm-hmm. or something like that won't mm-hmm. look at themselves mm-hmm. but it's so important to look at yourself in the mirror or look down so you can see what's going on true even if it is just lint.
2: No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously I I I there's I've got stories for days but there was a patient and I know we'll probably get into some of that but she did not want the technologist looking at her When she was doing the exam, she was like, don't look at me. And she was like, well, ma'am, I I have to, I have to position you. I have to, you know, and so if they're like that with, you know, somebody else, which I get, you know, sometimes patients are are weird with their own bodies for, for whatever reason, you know? So yeah, that you can kind of run into those things, believe it or not, with, with breast health a lot. So
0: I didn't even think about that, but it makes sense.
3: Yes. Yeah, people have a lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though you're doing something that is in your right as the physician or the whatever mm-hmm. healthcare provider you are or tech, tech whatever the case may be, is that people come in with a whole lot of trauma, a backpack full of things. And you have to be able to help them through those issues and try to find a way to still accomplish what you need to Um, by usually it's by explaining what's going on in more detail or asking them what they would be comfortable for sometimes letting them guide your hand for them. Um, It's just, uh, it's not always very straightforward. So you can see how patients sometimes uh, shy away from going in to get them the imaging and the exams they need because of maybe they were touched inappropriately as a child, maybe they're getting touched inappropriately in their adult relationship. Um, maybe someone has said something to make them feel insecure about themselves. And so um, it it really, it takes a little bit of, um, I think, uh, patience and understanding and trying to understand why the patient is expressing whatever they are telling you.
1: Those are some valid points to consider, especially when you're thinking about some of the barriers and why particularly um, we're definitely encouraging women to be proactive in their health, but we're not asking, I guess, maybe the right questions as to why they may not, you know, feel, com- be comfortable um, going to get a mammogram or an exam,
0: you know. So those, those are definitely some things to consider. Have you um, dealt with that with some of your patients and like helped them through certain things to where they felt comfortable?
3: Yeah, so I once had a patient that um, actually she did not feel comfortable with the physician that she saw uh, before me. And so kind of refused an exam by that physician. I'm not quite sure why, but um, was very adamant that she wanted to come see me. Uh, So she transferred within our institution to uh, to my clinic. And I think that it was a level of uh, comfort. She had a lot of um, uh, difficult social structures. And so she said that she didn't feel comfortable in the room that you know people were accepting of her because she um had a she basically she um didn't have as many means as some other people might have and so she didn't feel like um people were going to be that accepting of her and so sometimes i think that patients are trying to gravitate to who they think might accept whatever whatever baggage they're bringing in with them i hate to call it baggage but i mean it's like the backpack full of things that we all carry around every day and so um what what it teaches me when that happens is that as patients, and I applauded her for this, is that you have to um, be comfortable with whoever you're seeing, right? It's not an emergency usually. So if you're not seeing so in an emergency situation, you got to see who's there, right? right? But if you're trying to um, establish a care relationship with someone, you'll never be able to be transparent and open and have that open communication that you need to have between a doctor or a physician and whatever the healthcare provider might be and yourself, if you're not comfortable.
2: Right. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. And same. Um, so we would have, so I, my main radiologist uh, is a male. So sometimes very rarely we would get a patient called a schedule and they would ask, "Um, well, who's the radiologist? And, you know, we'd let them know. And they would be like, well, I prefer a woman, you know, so we would have to either get them to a different location or we would have to wait until he would leave. And then we would usually have a, a female radiologist that would rotate in. And that was helpful for them, you know, being able to know the doctor's schedule so I could, okay, let me try to get you with somebody that way you're, you're more comfortable. Um, and that was very helpful, you know, sometimes Unfortunately, they wouldn't tell us until they got there and it's like, well, this is the doctor so you can cancel your appointment or, you know, and I think some patients maybe didn't realize or understand that there are male radiologists and so when they get to that point of, you know, if it's anything extra that they need like a diagnostic mammogram or, um a procedure that it, it could very well be a male. Um, so in some cases, and I mean, we were always in the room with them. He was like, hey, somebody needs to be in here with me at all times. Um, but, you know, still there are some women who just aren't comfortable with that. So we do try to accommodate um, on the front end as well. I think that's
1: good to hear. That alleviates some of the worries and you, being, you all being proactive with that is, is very comforting.
0: Yes, glad we touched on that subject.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you all or do you all typically see an increase in patients during the month of October since it is breast cancer awareness or is it typically about the same?
2: Absolutely an increase um, <laughs> okay. on, on the front end as far as, you know, the screening mammograms. And and I think that's great because, you know, we see pink everywhere this month. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Even I mean, I know like the NFL, they changed it to like crucial catch to kind of catch all of the, um, I guess more cancer awareness in general, but still, you know, I remember a few years ago, I mean, it was nothing but pink on the field and, you know, Susan G. Komen, they're, they're advertising kind of everywhere and even in the store. Um, so it's a good reminder. Um, but yes, absolutely. And then I I know at a lot of breast centers around the country, they will do special things for the patients to kind of entice them to come in. So we used to do like gift baskets or we would give out like things to every patient like if you come this month you'll get a t-shirt one year we did like a pair of socks you know so you'll you'll get something like a cup or something then that that kind of makes it a little bit more you know enticing to come in and, and get it done.
0: Me um, Makisha?
3: Oh uh, no same well I don't I don't think we uh give out anything during the, the of October <laughs> or anytime during the year but uh, definitely this time of year, there's so much heightened awareness. Um, mm-hmm. so you definitely see an influx of patients, um, usually from this point on to the end of the year mm-hmm. is, for a couple of reasons, one, because it's October, but also because a lot of people have deductibles that are, uh, yeah. or have been met I Just to keep, said it 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 yep. <laughs> to keep it real. So they're like, Oh, wait, yep. let's go get this let me, right. let
2: me go get that done. <laughs> yeah. But you
3: know, for pe- I always say that for but people with um, health insurance, uh, screening mammograms are free. So mm-hmm. your health insurance, the average health insurance covers uh, preventative mm-hmm. medicine at about a hundred percent usually. So mm-hmm. um, uh, people are like, oh wait, let me go because some places will run uh, specials or the. I think even though we make it more accessible during this time of year too, because we know you'll see more mobile mammographies mm-hmm. going around the city and things like that because we're trying to um yes meet the people where they are. Right. That's what I one said. Wanted Julie Jalees- <laughs> yep, always she always
0: said that. yeah,
3: yeah not you becoming a technologist
0: and then you <laughs> add that
2: on to your van.
0: <laughs> yes, I mean people where they're at mentally because I mean. everyone's not ready for bra fitting and physically where they're at which also leads to the next question um when I say not everyone's ready for their bra fitting not everyone's ready for mammograms Mm -hmm. so what are things that maybe y'all's experience y'all have done to encourage women to get their screenings when it I guess at any given time but whenever is necessary
3: yeah usually I um ask people, right? So part of my job is to ask people, have they done their healthcare screenings, whether it's breast, colon, anything like that. So I ask, but then I often remind them that ignorance really isn't bliss. Uh, And I think we think it is, but it's not right. Um, what you don't know really could harm you. And so I also remind them that the pain is temporary. I think that's the biggest driver that keeps people away sometimes is either shame fear or concern for the pain or discomfort. I like to call it is very temporary, but it is present. And so you have, you take someone who has one bad experience with their mammogram and they may not come back for five years. So, um, I think we have to take all of that into consideration. I also encourage my patients because the majority of my patients are breast cancer survivors or, you know, and we consider survivorship starting the day you're diagnosed with cancer. So, um uh, and i say you know you could use this as an opportunity to tell a friend if they're working still to remind people you know at work or whatever to um get their mammogram or even if they feel comfortable sharing their story because then um that also helps people because people often are afraid of this um long drawn out story and they see like you know people think cancer and they immediately think death mm-hmm. to be honest but um, so that's why it's helpful when people who have these uh, amazing stories of, oh, I went in, I had a small procedure, um, the biopsy, what that was like, all those things, you know, if they can share their positive experience, it can always help someone. And even their negative experience can help someone sometimes. Right.
2: And I, and just again, to piggyback off of that, you know, I always would tell my patients the sooner, the better, you know, the the sooner you get in here. It That could be the difference in in everything, you know, your treatment, um, the size of this, you know, how long you're out of work, you know, whatever the case may be. So, you know, if you come in for your screening, then you, let's say you get worked up and it's all the way to a biopsy, and then you do have to have surgery to have this area removed. That's just better because we're catching it sooner, you know, uh, versus you waiting, not knowing And then, you know, later on down the road, this thing has maybe grown, you know, it's, you know, costing you more time, you're away from your family, um, your job, all of that kind of stuff, because that's the other part of it too, you know, the financial side, you know, there's, it's definitely fear, but then there's also, hey, I got to be able to feed my family, you know, hey, I'm working, I have young kids. I can't do all of this stuff, you know? And so that was kind of a a battle too. Um, But just, yeah, the sooner, the better, truly what they say, early detection is key. Um, You know, that can make all the difference in in your treatment.
3: I think you touch on a really good thing is that um, people have lives and they have a lot of responsibilities. So um, and the way that healthcare is set up today, we don't necessarily meet everyone's need, right? If you a lot of people, I didn't realize this and it almost it sounds horrible to say out loud, but I didn't realize that, you know, everyone isn't afforded the opportunity to um, you know, just come in late to work. This is like years ago. Obviously I realize this now, but before, you know, probably when I was like 20 or something, 21, I didn't realize that everyone can't just say, okay, I need to take off early today. Some people have to miss the whole day of work. Or whole shift if they need to go to the doctor um, and it's not like we're 24 7 staffed and so i think that's why it's helpful when places have like saturday imaging or occasionally we'll have after hours imaging um, to um, you know be mindful of those people who have other responsibilities um, that often take precedence over their own health care and in my experience most women will put everyone else's health before their own They'll go get their care, but it might be delayed because their child or their husband or spouse, whoever it might be, um, had something else going on.
2: Absolutely. I, I saw that, saw that so many times there was a, again, so many stories. There was a patient, um, she was, I was younger than her at the time, but, um, she, I mean, the cancer, it was, it was bad it was very obvious it was bad um and we you know we asked we were like if, if we don't if if you don't mind why did you wait you know um and she I and mean, she was fine she was like i didn't have insurance
3: mm-hmm.
2: i didn't i didn't have the resources and and people don't even realize there are centers that you can go to and they will do everything from start to finish um honestly for for free if you qualify and um she was just like, I didn't, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I thought it was going to be a lot of money. And, uh, I, I don't know what ended up happening to her, but it was by the time she got to us, it was definitely stage four already. Um, she was, she was my age now, which is 34. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was really sad to hear that, that it wasn't because, you know, she was, she didn't not know that it was there. It was just simply because she just didn't have the funds for it, you know. So definitely, putting other things in front of it, the financial side is is huge, um, and it's it's unfortunate. Definitely, that's
0: very interesting. Other things I did, Y'all bringing up things that I didn't necessarily think about before mm-hmm. when it comes to this, but it makes all the sense, obviously. It does. Um, it- For Makisha, I have a question. So what type of treatment does an oncologist provide?
3: Well, there are different types of oncologists. Um, As I said, I'm a surgical surgical oncologist. oncologist. So I provide the surgery, I remove the cancer. Um, Mm. But, you know, we have medical oncologists who give the drug therapy. When I think about breast cancer treatment, as I tell my patients, I break it down into like three groups. There's um, drug therapy or medications, whether that's chemotherapy or a pill You take every day to try to uh, reduce your risk of developing a recurrent cancer. Um, There's a surgeon like myself who's going to go in and remove the cancer. And then sometimes you even need a radiation oncologist who will deliver radiation treatment to help again reduce the risk of cancer recurrence. And so um, fortunately, we don't all all have to do all of those jobs uh, that we definitely have our different subspecialties, but my job would be to remove the cancer.
1: Got it. And for you, Cassie, um, how would you describe the day in the life of a patient care coordinator?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Or I, I could I could also walk you kind of through because my job was like a catch-all. I mean okay. I was, I was setting up sterile trays, I was in biopsies, wire localization. Okay. I did a lot of stuff. But as far as like the technologist, um, basically, let's say it's a screening mammogram, I'll kind of just walk all the way up until we maybe get to oncology. um, So you walk in, uh, you have a screening mammogram that day. And uh, now um, we do, or they offer 3D mammography. So um, 2D is, you know, what was the standard? And it's still, 2D pictures are still being done uh, with 3D as well. But it's just a better, more in-depth picture of the breast. Um, what kind of happens is, the machine takes pictures of the breast in slices. um, And so that way, the radiologist can see a better picture. Um, Also, uh, less painful um, for the patients. And um, there was another point, less painful and uh, could result in fewer callbacks. So I'll get to the callback. So basically, once you finish with your screening mammogram, they take the the two standard views of of each breast and then you leave. And then the radiologist, he will read those uh, images and then let you know if you need to come back for additional imaging, which is a diagnostic mammogram, or if everything is fine and we'll see you in a year. If you come back for a diagnostic mammogram, then they will take specific pictures looking at specific areas or whatever it is so if you have dense breast tissue if they found a little nodule or lump in the breast whatever it is um, that the doctor can't you know quite definitively know then they'll have you come back in for that let's say you need to go even further so they've determined that we need to it's in the criteria to have a biopsy so then you'll Come back, you'll get a biopsy done. They make a small incision in the breast, take some breast tissue, and then that gets sent off to a pathologist. And then let's say now it's positive and, you know, you need to have um, surgery to have this removed. Uh, basically, we will send, that's where I my part is done. And then we send you on. Um, tell me your name again. Makisha. <laughs> Makisha talking to Makisha. That's where we're going to go after that. And um, then she will take over from there.
1: You brought up 3D. Um, With my family's history, my mom suggested that I I do that. This was a few years ago, Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: my insurance would not do it. Like I'm actively Mm -hmm. advocating for my breast health.
2: And they were like,
1: no, you're too young. So (laughs) um, yeah. So I do my eyes at some of this stuff that I encounter, but.
2: Yes, I was going to say, and there's just kind of ways that you have to kind of trick the system. So number one, when you're under 40, you do have to have an order from your doctor. So, you know, basically, you would, you know, talk to your doctor, say, hey, I have family history. Hey, I'm feeling something in my breast, whatever, um, whatever the diagnosis is, and then they would just write it out. And then you would go to your breast uh, center, and they would do it for you. Now, There's a, it starts getting kind of tricky because patients would be like, well, it should be covered. It's covered, but you still might have a deductible that you have to meet, which is, that's the insurance side, you know, of everything. But yes, if anytime you're feeling something in your breast, anytime that, let's say you have a pretty strong family history, you know, um, let's say my mom was diagnosed when she was 40 basically I should, you should be starting your mammograms at age 30, 10 years before mom got diagnosed. Um, and that should be covered. Um, you might have to pay a little bit depending on your insurance plan, but yes. I And I, I get the 3d thing too. There's like a, there's like a whole code, but the typically, I don't know how recent that was, but I think the the major um insurance carriers, you know, Aetna, United Healthcare, Blue Cross, they should be covering uh the 3D mammograms because now it's pretty standard. Okay. There was kind of this shift change where like back in 2015, you had to be at like a top of the line, like breast center, to have 3D uh mammography. And then now pretty much everybody has 3D. That's like the standard um, or tomosynthesis is what they call it. So like that should be, it should be standard and more, um, insurance companies should be covering it. But again, I think there's a, when we say cover, it may not be at a hundred percent, like a screening mammogram is
3: now it is. Actually, um, so you're right. Like 2014, 2015, it wasn't, but then there was legislation, I think that came around about 2018, 2019, that allowed for um, mandated that insurances cover uh, 3D or tomosynthesis with um, screening mammography. So before people used to have about a $70 copay, depending on where you went, somewhere between 50 to $70 additional fee. I shouldn't call it a copay. It was an out-of-pocket expense to be able to get it. But then now, as you said, um, the major insurance carriers primarily cover, I think I've only come across some instances where some versions of um medicare uh depending on what that is um the person is signed up for they do not have to cover the 3d um at least for a screening but they um will cover it if it's a uh, diagnostic imaging
0: yes so once the patients are passed on to you makisha how does that look in a day in the life for you
3: yeah so um the patient you know, shows up at my office usually with um, one or two things. Either there's someone who came in because they had an abnormal mammogram, and so they or their doctor said, oh, wait, I, you should go see a specialist, and then I order all of that diagnostic workup like Kathy, Cassie talked about, and then for the majority of my patients, their cancer is diagnosed or their abnormality is diagnosed by a needle biopsy, whether it's by ultrasound or mammogram. Um, So when they come to me, uh, the vast majority already have a diagnosis of cancer. And so then my job is to explain their cancer to them, uh, review their images. So I have to work very closely with the radiologist because um, in the language that the radiologist uses matters to me a lot. So when I read the report, it's obviously more in depth than the report that patients get when something is normal. Usually you get a letter. If everything is fine, you get a letter saying your mammogram was great, see you next year. Essentially, that's what it says. But when I get the report, I'm looking at the report to um, look at a few things. Are the breasts dense? Um, where Where is the abnormality located in the breast? What's the size of it? Is it a mass or is there something called calcifications? Uh, that they see uh, on the imaging, and then I have to ask myself, well, how large is it by looking at the report? So there are a lot of details that the radiologist is trying to communicate to me. And then I also have to look at the images and, of course, examine the patient because um, you can't just get it all from the report. So when I'm prepping for clinic, I'm reviewing the report, reviewing the images, and then finally I get to see the patient. But by the time I see the patient, I'll know some things, um, what type of cancer they have usually, Um, What is influencing the growth of their cancer? Things that we look for called biomarkers, because that tells us something about how we need to treat the cancer. Those biomarkers are estrogen, progesterone, and a protein called HER2. But it tells us a little bit about how the medical oncologist will then guide the treatment process for the patient. Um, I also find from that information, from looking at the mammogram, the size of the breast. Because the size of the breast relative to the size of the cancer really, in a lot of cases, dictates what I'm going to do so or what I'm going to offer the patient. Ultimately, what I end up doing sometimes is a, it's really depend on what the patient's desire. There's a lot of uh, autonomy and a uh, shared patient um, decision-making in, in breast medical oncology and surgical oncology. And so what I'm trying to decide, is this patient a candidate for a lumpectomy? because the cancer is small relative to the size of their breast? Or is this someone who I can't safely offer a lumpectomy because the cancer is too big and I'm gonna have to uh, only offer them mastectomy or removal of the breast? So those are the kind of things that I'm looking for or thinking about before I even walk into the room to see the patient. And then of course, gathering their history, um, kind of what led them to that point. Um, And then getting a good look at the skin, because that tells me something uh, about what's going on with the um, patient. And then deciding if I need to send them to the medical oncologist first, because they need that drug therapy or medications, uh, whether it's chemotherapy, or something before we go to surgery, or if I can take them to surgery first. And so um, depending on what that that ends up being, then either they go get the medication first, the chemotherapy that they need. And then I see them back later to take them to surgery. Um, and But together we decide if the patient's gonna receive a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. Um, and then we together decide if that patient um, will be a candidate for reconstruction um, and should be referred to a plastic surgeon.
1: I thank you both for sharing. Probably provide some insight into what um, what your patients or what patients go through and that whole process. So it's a lot of, a lot that goes into all of that. (laughs) And the different options. Yeah, definitely the different options. It's good to be
3: aware of all of that. And there can Um, be so much going on in the breast that you have to kind of be very (laughs) detailed uh oriented because you you can have one thing at one position in the breast, another thing in another position. And when the radiologists perform their biopsies, they put these clips or markers in the breast. And that's very important because I need to correlate this finding with that marker um and it helps for everyone else who sees that patient in the future when they go get mammograms to know that someone's already biopsied this it's benign we don't have to pay that much Mm attention to her oh it's changed let me look at that so um i think that also brings up a really good point is that when you're transitioning from one center to the next Um, and you're establishing to get your imaging somewhere it's very helpful if you can bring prior images and you know patients often think that we're just uh, giving them a hard time or making them jump through unnecessary hoops but the real thing is like if you were to read a book you wouldn't just start in the middle you want the beginning or the the few chapters before that to set the story up and so the prior images really set the story for us. It lets us know, oh, this is something that we don't need to biopsy and it prevents a lot of unnecessary testing uh, because we know the history of something. Makes so it easier on, on everyone. Yes, makes it easier for everyone, including the patient. Most most of the time it's the patient because it would be it can lead to unnecessary biopsies and increased cost.
2: Yes. Uh, I that was probably. 60% of my job was getting oh mammograms. Uh so and I, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, like you People that that around. you you hit it <laughs> yeah. right on the head literally because we I had patients come from all over and you know they would be like I'd be like well where where did you go? Uh I don't know and I'm like I'm thinking you don't know who felt on your breast? Come on now like you don't know where you went? You don't know where you know and then they would you know finally figure it out and um they're like well well why you know why do you, why do you guys need this and it's like well just like you said you know it paints a picture for the doctor um he needs to see everything because you know let's say you had a the the i think one of the hardest ones was kind of those people would switch so they would i, I hate to say this about patients but they would kind of like try to run a little game because they would need to come back in 6 months for a follow up but they would switch and come to us and thinking that, oh, they're not going to care. They're not going to get my history. And we would be after their history. And they would be like, well, why do you need it? Well, we need to know what we're seeing. And then we would get the report in. And it's like, well, you never showed up to them for your hmm. mammogram. So now we, it's a diagnostic. And the reason being, again, cost. Well, I want it to be a screening. Yes, I understand that. But you you have something that they're following. So we don't, it, it, yes, we might be taking more images of you, but you never followed up. And so we have to also do our due, dil- due diligence and make sure that we're looking at whatever this is. That way we know what's going on in case, you know, we don't want to miss anything, you know, because um, then you'll be even more mad if we miss a cancer or something like that. So Yes, I yes, that is hands down. Like please take things with you, pick up your records if you're moving to a different city or state, or at least know where you went. That way we, you know, the facility can get, you know, in contact with the last place and and get it all coordinated for you. Yeah. Sounds like there's stuff to do
1: on our end as patients and on here as well. So keep that in mind, folks. Um, is there in a correlation between um, cancer and nutrition and cancer and physical health in you all's opinion or in you all's professional expertise?
3: Well, I think so. You know, um, when we think about the American Cancer Society, especially patients who have been diagnosed with cancer, and this is not just breast cancer, this is, you know, all comers for cancer, the recommendation for people is um, 150 minutes of exercise a week or 30 minutes, five times a week. You know, when you say 150 minutes, it sounds very overwhelming, but 30 minutes, five times a week has been shown to reduce the risk of cancer uh, recurrence. Having a diet that is um, well-balanced. And so by well-balanced, I mean, which is something I have to work on myself, a plate that is two thirds plant-based, plant and fruit-based. And a third of that, you know, meat. (laughs) Um, We're not uh, meant to just eat meat. Um, we are meant to eat the colors of the rainbow, as they say, um, but also limiting our alcohol use. I think um, that is something we see not just with breast cancer recurrence, but even when you think about liver cancers and other cancers is that uh, people um, drink more than they think they do. And so the recommendation usually is one serving of alcohol per day at most, Um and so a serving, you know, is like that five ounce pour or one ounce of a uh, liquor or like a 12 ounce beer. But we, you know, you don't think about it that way because, you know, when you're out with your friends, you're enjoying. And so I like to tell people that um, binge drinking is worse than drinking once per day uh, when you think about it. So you can't say, oh, I didn't drink um, Monday through Thursday. So let me let me make up Monday through Thursday on Friday and Saturday or on Friday night Um, because these things do matter. Uh, So I think you can't necessarily eat your way out of a cancer diagnosis, right? If you have a high risk for cancer development, but you can do things to help try to modify those risks and especially modify the risk of recurrence.
1: So audience, if this sounds like is repeating itself. I know sometimes we have to hear things more than once, more than twice, or more than three times sometimes, but yes, these factors do play a part in reducing the risk for cancer.
0: So I would say, what are your observations when it comes to cancer returning?
3: Um, well, there are certain cancers that are going to be more likely to come back than others or have a higher risk of recurrence. Mm-hmm. Um, What we know today is that just because you have cancer doesn't mean it will come back, but it always can come back. And so I think that often is a driver for patients when they think about removing their breast is because in their mind, if I remove the breast, then I won't ever have to deal with this again. But the truth is, is that it doesn't work that way. Cancer can come back in the skin. It can come back in another organ. Um, It doesn't have to just come back in the uh, breast, in an intact breast, if you will. Um, and there are cancers that are more aggressive than others, um, and so, and we learn this um, that also cancer in a younger population tends to be uh, more aggressive than, let's say, the 70-year-old with, who develops breast cancer or any type of cancer. In that with that respect, and so, I think um, we gain a lot of insight these days on cancer treatment. And it's been tailored to how aggressive certain cancers are. There are tests now to try to determine what someone's risk of recurrence is, um, based on looking at the we call it genomics. So you're looking at the makeup of the actual tumor to help predict um, what someone's recurrence rate is and what their treatment should look like. So, I think um, it just uh, tells us that although you shouldn't always have cancer at the forefront of your mind if you've been a cancer patient, but you can see how people don't ever really get away from cancer because we know and we tell them it always can come back. Um, And that could be 10 years from now, or could be, you know, 15 years from now. I've seen patients who have been cancer free, you know, for 20, 30 years. And now they have a new cancer in the same breast or a cancer in the other breast. Um, Mm -hmm. And that, that happens to people, unfortunately.
1: Thanks for that. Um, what are your What are you all's recommendations to help prevent cancer from returning, if if at all possible?
3: So we say to reduce the risk. We don't guarantee that we can prevent it from recurring, right? And so I think the first thing that I tell people is to um, follow through with the treatment plan. Um, what happens is sometimes patients will think that they can. Um, pick and choose. So like I said, there are sometimes uh, three buckets, if you will, of care that someone may have to go. They may have to see the medical oncologist, the surgeon, and the radiation oncologist. And we all have a component. And so they might say, well, um, I removed my breast. So I'm not going to take the drugs that the medical oncologist recommended because I don't have the breast there anymore. But the the drugs aren't just for the breast. They're trying to protect the entire body from a recurrence or to adequately treat the cancer. So sometimes just removing the cancer doesn't mean that you've completely tr- treated the cancer. Or some people will say, um, this comes up often sometimes with our patients who deserve to, who decide to um, get a lumpectomy or to save their breast. They'll do the surgery for the lumpectomy. They'll take the medication that the medical oncologist prescribed, but they'll say, oh no, I'm not gonna do that radiation. And if you're saving your breast, the vast majority of those patients require radiation after the lumpectomy. Um, And so I think some of it is treatment fatigue. Some of it is um, trying to uh, create their own package, if you will. You know, I think a lot of patients these days are like, don't tell me what a standard of care treatment is. I want to, I want to tailor my care to me. And that's great. We want you to be able to do that but we also know that there's some guidelines to help us tailor that. And part of tailoring the treatment doesn't necessarily mean that we um, are okay with you skipping out on portions of the treatment, but obviously we can't mandate that for anyone. Um, People are adults and they get to make their own decisions. But I think that's the, the first thing that I would tell people is you have to ask yourself, did I do everything in my right? Because you don't really have any control beyond that, and so if you took the medication, did the procedure, did the radiation, whatever was recommended to you, then you've done all that you can do. But I think that those patients who we often see back sometimes are patients who didn't follow through with the treatment always, and then of course there are some patients who are uh, unfortunate in that they did do everything we asked, but their cancer was just more aggressive and returned.
0: Okay. So um, we like to end on a positive note. So, are there words of encouragement that you all can provide, whether or not it's someone is just time for their screening, or they've been battling cancer, or they've beat cancer, whatever stage they're at? Any words of encouragement you all have?
2: Uh, I would probably say, just like I kind of you know touched on earlier, you know, the sooner the better. So again, going to those annual appointments, um, if you're under 40 and then when you are 40, just making sure that you start getting your mammograms, um, you know, and just being aware of your body. That's key. You know, I would always, you know, tell my patients it's you and me together working through this. So, Like I said, we can only do so much, you know, we're going to do our part, um, at the doctor's office when you come see us, but also just being aware of what's normal for you and what's not, you know, um, and just, you know, I I know I would have patients once we did tell them their diagnosis, they would, you know, well, I'm not going to tell anybody, I'm not going to say anything. And I would be like, you know, if there's just, I would, I would always encourage if there's just one just one person that that you can just kind of let it all hang out with and you can just tell don't keep it all bottled up inside because I think with anything negative or or you know what do they say um an idle mind is the devil's playground like when you, when you kind of cut yourself off from everybody, it just seems worse. You just keep going, you know, your, your mind is playing tricks on you. You know, you're just, it's just not a good thing. And so if you've just got one person, you know, you don't have to tell the whole world. You may not want to tell your kids. I understand that, but. You know, just telling one person and just kind of share things with, and so that somebody can, can be with you and, and, and support you because it, it is, it, it, it turns into a lot. Really quickly, you know, um there's different doctors, there's different appointments, there's there's all these things coming at you, and it's a lot for one person to keep up with, you know, um, and so just just having that one person just kind of be an ally uh for you is is what I would recommend. perfect,
3: yeah, I think that's really good advice, uh, just to echo um that um I would tell people, don't let fear keep you back. Um, and that's for anything, you know, I gain so much, uh, strength from my own cancer patients, you know, I'm there to help them, but I find like they, um, really do, uh, positively impact my life and put a lot of things in perspective for me. Um, but the one thing that, um, I know is that they, even if they're fearful, they aren't held back by it. And if they are held back by it, they are usually open to, um, you know, some positive encouragement. So, uh, don't let fear hold you back. Don't be. Uh, don't let fear keep you from taking care of yourself. Um, use your voice. Uh, find a place where you feel comfortable expressing your voice. Um, if you feel stifled, you just won't open up and get the care that you need. And then um, also remember that um, you are not alone. I think sometimes in healthcare, care, you know, the day is busy. There are a lot of patients. It's uh, sometimes very fast paced moving day. But I find that um, especially in oncology care and even with some really good primary care uh, physicians is that we all want the best for our patients um, and we all want to give them uh, the best care that we can. And so um, if there's something that they can do for you to help your care process, let them know, because there's often so many resources to tap into, whether it's support groups, um, there are groups to help you even get to the mammogram there. I think there's some things where people will people will go with you uh, for people who are scared. So don't be afraid to utilize the resources that exist. Okay. Definitely mm-hmm. good
0: advice. Yeah, good advice. thank you both
1: for that. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of good gems there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Alrighty, well, oh, uh, where guess. can we find you all? <laughs>
3: um, you can find me at uh, MD Anderson. I um, work there primarily. I have a clinic at our Sugarland location, but um, have worked at both our main campus, our Medical Center location, I should say, and our Sugarland location, and operate in uh, at our Medical Center location. You can also find me. Uh, randomly around the city, sometimes at uh, breast cancer events um, and uh, community service events.
2: And me, I'm just in the Dallas area. Um, Like I said, I don't work there now. Um, But anytime my friends have questions or um if anybody is just asking or you know, this time of year somebody might post something, I'm like, oh, I know, you know, I go go get seen. Go. I, if you have any questions, I can I can uh, answer them. So um yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm on Instagram. That's about it. <laughs>
1: Where can they find you on Instagram if they have questions?
2: <laughs> um so I'm at cat renee at home and cat is with a K. Kat Renee at home. Um, No underscores or anything, just straight through. Great. Well,
0: we hope that some people, if they have their questions and if they're looking for a breast surgical oncologist (laughs) in their (laughs) area, or just wanting to come here for some medical care, that you know they can, they'll reach out to you. So, um, again, thank you all for joining us. This has been very informative for us alone. (laughs) So for sure, for viewers, I know that they'll enjoy this information for sure.
3: Thank you so much for having us. Um, It's wonderful to have this type of podcast for patients just to have this uh, access to open information. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's the real info that people want to know. So Mm -hmm. it's uh, good work you're doing.
2: Thank you. Yes, absolutely. I love it. Tooth awesome.
3: <laughs> All the
0: breast needs.
2: Yes. Thanks, breasties.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so that was a lot of great information that I'm sure is very useful, especially at this time of year. You know, we're very strong when it comes to the breast in October. That. There are many things for all of the months of the year, but everyone knows about October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So be sure to pay attention to your breast health year round, not just October. October is just a month where we really highlight this, but as we have discussed before, you should be paying attention to your breast health year round. So make sure you're doing that. If you have an appointment to make, make it. <clears throat> Uh, (laughs) If you have um, If you haven't gone at all You know, just start anywhere with Calling a doctor Starting with your self-exams Like, you know, it's just a part of life So make sure you're doing it Make sure you Like, comment, subscribe You know, we know that we have a lot of people out there That can relate to the information That was provided in this information And we would love to hear it So be sure to share it with us And Tune in for next week's episode. Um, And also, don't forget that we have Bluetooth merch. So make sure that you visit our website and shop with us. We have a lot of bountiful goodies that are there. Till next time. Bye.